Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. You'll recall, hopefully, a program from December. We talked with Julie Newfer on her interesting book, Helen Andelin and the Fascinating Womanhood Movement. The story in brief, in the 1960s, Mormon housewife Helen Andelin taught that a woman's true happiness could only be realized if she admired, cared for, and obeyed her husband. Very traditionalist role. And uh, she uh, thought that uh, through this, uh, th- this, these methods uh, that she had revived her uh, stagnant marriage. And so she uh, became uh, quite the evangelist for this. She sparked a large movement that ran counter to the second wave feminist movement. And uh, we uh, had a, a good discussion on this. And it was clear from that discussion in December that many women are thinking through their roles in today's shifting environment. And one listener suggested that we conduct a follow-up discussion regarding men's roles. So that's what we're going to do today. Julie Newfer returns for this discussion. Uh, she is uh, author of Helen Andelin and the Fascinating Womanhood uh, Movement. And I believe she joins us. Oh, she's not on yet. We'll, uh, we'll uh, have her join us a little bit later. We're joined in studio by uh, Jonathan Choate who is with SD7 Technology Group. Yes. And uh, with uh, four of the people. Yes, as well. In uh, KVNU, so you do do some talk. And Laura Lee Choate, uh, his wife, who uh, is now, I learn, into radio as well. Yep. The last year I've been hosting the morning show on Q92.9, so get up early. I had to give up my blogging hey. career, but... So for the last year? Yep, last so, year. Boy, that... Uh, Shows it flies you, by. <laughs> shows you uh, shows you that I've not been listening in the mornings to Q ninety two. So I apologize for that. So I'm That's sure you're okay. doing. I'm sure you're doing a great job. So thanks for thanks for coming in. You know, uh, listeners will recall oh, a year ago or so we uh, had you guys on together discussing how to handle political differences. Yes, in marriage. when you're married and you totally disagree on many many things. <laughs> I remember. I remember one of the uh, thing. One of the rules is some some topics you just don't discuss. Yeah, there are, there are times when you just have to read the uh, the mood and just. Just for, you, know, you don't have to it talk about that It usually ends with, I don't think we can talk about this anymore, and one of us usually exits the room. Right. But, but good on you guys for, for navigating that. We're also joined on the phone from Helper uh, by Sherry Mills, who we've had on uh, the program on her book, I Almost Divorced My Husband, But I Went on Strike Instead, and uh, her, her book, Marriage 101 for, for Men. Uh, Sherry Mills, so welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Uh, so, very interesting discussion, and and you have an interesting vantage point. Remind the listeners, you uh, you run a hair salon in in Helper, and so you've seen generations of women and men, and uh, been able to kind of view with a with a sociologist's eye uh, what works and what doesn't work in in marriage. In, in everything, I've seen uh, uh, generations of uh, men, women, children, everything, and uh, the same families. Three generations of the same families. So. Um, uh, that's one of the things that Dr. Liz Hale said is that I know more than she does because yeah. she only sees them about every two years. Or, right. You know, so. You see them whenever they come in to get their hair done. Uh, yep. and, and they open up to you. Very much so. Very yeah. much so. So you, you've got some interesting anecdotes in, in your books. Uh, we're also joined by uh, uh, Gerald Mills, uh, Sherry's uh, husband. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Al. Appreciate it. So, to be here. so on the previous program we only talked about you. Now you'll have a chance to defend yourself, <laughs> I guess. So I'm going to try. Yeah. <laughs> so we we appreciate you joining us. So what we want to talk about today is um, we'll, we'll review a little bit this fascinating 
uh, history that I hadn't known about until I uh, we had Julie Newfer on on the program, Helen Andlin, the fascinating womanhood movement. Then we want to talk about men's roles in today's uh, shifting environment, which will necessarily get us into women's roles as well, and, and how do we fit together. Uh, so uh, do we have Julie on? Okay, uh, Julie Newfer returns to the program, and uh, we're happy to have you back. Welcome back. Great to be here. Julie Newfer uh, teaches at Eastern Washington University, uh, teaches American history. And uh, so let's give a thumbnail sketch here at the beginning of the, the program here. Helen Andlin, how did you uh, how did you happen upon this history? Uh, I happened upon the history because I was actually raised in a community where Helen Andlin's book was very, very popular. And I ended up um, going away to leaving home, going to graduate school, and in one of my American popular culture classes, my college professor held this book up and said, well, you know, during the 1960s, you could even find out how to be the perfect housewife. And I looked at that and I thought, oh my gosh, I thought it was just a local thing. <laughs> so, so I went up to him afterwards and said, I think I would like to do my doctoral dissertation on this, on this um, subject because I actually, I think I can get an interview with Andalyn. I know she's still alive. And I understand this whole message. In fact, I was raised around it. And he sort of looked at me strangely and uh, said, well, I think it would be a good idea to write about something you know about. So he agreed to be my director and directed me through this getting my doctoral degree. And Andalyn indeed did agree to let me interview her. And I interviewed her over a four-year period and um, was able to write this book. I also interviewed former Fascinating Womanhood teachers. I interviewed uh, followers of Andalyn, read thousands of letters of women that wrote what Andalyn called success stories. And I also read a lot of information about uh, from Andalyn's critics because she had a lot of them. She ended up on panels, right? The, the the press always likes to get point counterpoint, and so you'd have Gloria Steinem, and you'd have Helen Edlin yes. because she represented the she, traditionalist viewpoint. Yes, she uh, she didn't she didn't, to my knowledge, she didn't debate against Gloria Steinem, and Betty Friedan just refused to debate her, but she did debate with Helen Gurley Brown, uh, Adela St. John, um, Jacqueline Suzanne. She would also. She also spoke at um, UCLA and some other colleges. At UCLA, she was actually booed off the stage. Um, she couldn't. She couldn't even speak because uh, the women there were so angry with her. And she told me she said in a couple of places, colleges that she went, the women would boo, but the men would clap, which would make the women even matter. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. So this was a time, 1960s, a time of a, a lot of changes. Um, and so she represented, uh, you know, today we look at this and we say, wow, you know, we shake our heads, you know, the woman should be submissive, uh, doll herself up for her husband, you know, let him totally lead, that kind of thing. But uh, mm -hmm. but this was a lot of women who joined her movement or followed her, they were, they were trying to navigate the, the, the world that was changing a lot, I think, at that time. That's right. And whenever uh, we go through, our, our society goes through unrest and radical social change, then you have people that try very hard to 
hold on to the way things were, and we call them conservatives or traditionalists, and so they want to conserve the way the America as they knew it. And so during this time of social upheaval, it was a very comforting message that Andalin offered, which was stick to the roles that you know, stick to your your ideas, and she added a religious element, your God-given roles. And so for many, many women, thousands of them, hundreds of thousands, this was their choice. This was what was the most comfortable and uh, made the most sense to them. And before we get on to a general discussion here, I want to um, treat a history we didn't talk about last time. You and I have talked about this off-air. Um, another fascinating tidbit to this, this interesting history. So Aubrey Andelin, Helen's husband, he apparently wrote a book. Yes, he did. At a certain point, um, Helen Andelin's business enterprise, it was a huge business, became so successful, and she was uh, ended up going against her own policy of encouraging women not to have careers when she actually had a very successful career. And uh, she would say, well, it's not really a, com- a career, it's a mission of charity. So what happened is that her husband took over the business and took over the Fascinating Womanhood enterprise, and um, Helen said, well, once it became a man-sized job, then it needed a man to lead it. And he ended up writing his own book, and he wrote a book called Man of Steel and Velvet. He actually sold about 90,000 copies, but uh, his primary, primarily the people who would buy his book were women who were, were buying it for their husbands, hoping that their husbands <laughs> would read it. But it was, uh, Aubrey's mm. book was about how to be a man. Mm. And very traditional views, I would imagine. Yes, be the leader, be the provider, make the decisions, um, never back down on a decision, don't look weak, be masculine at all times, um, treat your wife well in order to be a better man, you know, that kind of thing. One of those little tidbits, you you know, it must be true, you couldn't make this up. You say that Aubrey Andlin's book is used today in Nation of Islam mosques? It is used today in Nation of Islam mosques. And I had a, a long interview with um, one of the leaders of the mosque down in Dallas, Texas. And he said that he felt that Aubrey Andalin's book and Helen Andalin's book was on their reading list that they use in their, their uh, marriage education classes, and that those books are actually approved personally by Louis Farrakhan. Wow. And the reason why they are approved and are so popular is because members of the Nation of Islam believe in traditional values for Mm. men and women, and they also have a very strong ethic about how men should behave and be the leaders and providers, and so he... He had nothing but great things to say about Aubrey Andalin's book and about Helen Andalin. They actually had a kind of a telephone friendship for several years. 
Very interesting. Yeah, this 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 history is, is fascinating. I think a lot of people don't know about it, so it's it, it's good to good to get this out. We're going to take a break. <clears throat> Excuse me, take a short break. When we come back, we'll uh, launch into our discussion on men's roles uh, today and uh, see what our panel uh, thinks about this. We're talking with Julie Newfer, who's author of the book out from University of Utah Press, Helen Adelin of the Fascinating Womanhood Movement. We all have in studio with us Jonathan and Laura Lee Choate, and uh, on the line from uh, Helper, we have uh, Sherry and Gerald Mills. Sherry's books include I Almost Divorced My Husband, But I Went on Strike Instead, and Marriage 101 for Men, the subtitle, Why Taking Out the Trash is a Turn-On. And uh, Sherry Mills has uh, made a study of this with the uh, people who come through the, uh, the the beauty salon there and has some very interesting uh, things to say as well. We'll talk about this, hopefully with you as well. The number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can join us by email to upraxis at gmail.com, on Twitter at Utah Public Radio, and on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. More following the break. Hi, it's Lynn Rosetto-Casper. Today we meet Azalina Yusope, a fifth-generation street vendor from Malaysia, whose caste system decided that job for her on the day she was born. It's the heart of a street vendor this week on The Splendid Table, the show about life's appetites from 8 p.m. Tuesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Traveling shoes along, got on my traveling shoes. Traveling shoes along, got on my traveling shoes. Got on. Got Harriet on, got Tubman, on, got Rosa on, Parks, and six other significant African American women will come to life during Traveling Shoes, a one-woman show presented by Utah Public Radio, featuring professional speaker, storyteller, and writer Janice Brooks. The performance will take place at 7 p.m. Thursday, February 5th in the Kane Performance Hall on Utah State University campus. The event is part of the Provost Series on Instructional Excellence in celebration of Black History Month. There's no cost to attend Traveling Shoes. However, tickets are required and available at arts.usu.edu. More information is at upr.org and 797-3215. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We had a program in December that uh, we got a lot of response to. It was uh, women's roles, as provoked by the book we've been talking about in the first segment, Helen Andelon and the Fascinating Womanhood Movement. Julie Newfer was our guest then, and she joins us as well uh, today. We're joined by Jonathan and Laura Lee Choate from Cache Valley and by Sherry and Gerald Mills from Helper. And uh, hopefully by you as well. We're talking, I uh, want to morph this discussion to men's roles. On that uh, program in December, we had uh, quite a few women call in. And it was all women. And uh, thoughtfully, very thoughtfully thinking through what women's roles are today. Uh, so we can certainly talk about that. And, and inevitably, when you talk about men's roles or women's roles, you talk about the other as well. Uh, so we're, uh, we're talking about that. So it, some of the things we want to know from you, are, are men's roles changing? What about cultural differences? Uh, how are men navigating today's shifting environment? What pressures and influences are men and women uh, responding to? Uh, let me preface this segment with uh, a personal anecdote. This is going back 30 years. Um, so as a young man, uh, I felt like things were shifting. I didn't know where I fit in, where, what my role should be, especially as I contemplated dating, which I didn't do because I was 
terrified of it, but I, you know, I <laughs> contemplated it. Um, then, uh, with, with that as a background, then I go on my LDS mission. I go to Argentina. And it's heavy, well-defined culture of machismo. And so as, as an LDS missionary, I don't participate in that, but I observe. And I, I noticed that I felt a sense of relief, that if I were in this culture participating actively, I would know exactly what I was expected to do. Mm-hmm. I would be expected to pursue heavily. The woman would be expected to flirt outrageously. We would know our roles, not only in, in you know, uh, dating, but in, um, in marriage. Now, there are some problems with the cult of machismo, um, but I, I, felt that, I felt that relief of, of those very well-defined roles, and then things weren't changing. Now, I, don't, I haven't been back, so I don't know what, what things would be like if I went back to Argentina today. Uh, but I do know that as I went along, I, I continued to feel a little bit of confusion about what was expected of me. You know? So, uh, so let, me, uh, let me start with uh, Sherry Mills on this. What did, I don't know if you've noticed over time especially men being a bit confused about what, what their role is. I feel really sorry for men. I think that's one of the reasons that this book is so important, because uh, I believe, I agree with everything she says, if it works, and if everybody knows what they're supposed to do. I'll, I have to tell you a little story, because this will explain a lot of stuff that I'm going through, uh, because I've had a lot of women that just have fits about men not helping at all, and, and they're working, and they're both working, and they're not helping, and... And uh, so I would sit and I'd talk him out of divorce. There's so many people that I just talked out of divorce and said that you just, you just talk to him this way, talk to him that way, get this to happen. And, and uh, one lady that I didn't even talk to is a little girl that had been dating this guy for quite a while. And when he met, went on his mission, she waited for him. I mean, they were so much in love, it wasn't even funny. So they got married in the temple and they moved to Salt Lake. And about two years later, she came back and to get her hair done. And I said, well, how's married life? And she says, what marriage? And she was so bitter. She says, I will not be anybody's slave. And she says, not only am I not married, but I ripped my garments to shreds. And that just totally sunk my heart. I thought, my word, that's just one person I thought would be perfect. You know, they had such a perfect relationship. And that one didn't, you know, didn't pan out. And it made me feel so guilty that I hadn't been talking to her. You know, and letting her know that there are ways without making your husband feel like he's a, an idiot or anything. Because I believe totally in giving the husband uh, all the respect in the world. And, but what happens, though, is uh, resentment isn't, doesn't have a voice. So what happens is you get your resentment builds up and builds up and builds up. And it either comes out in, in having, uh, having to be on medication or comes out in anger uh, an unsuppressed anger, which is really, really hard, or in other ways. And so it's something that really needs to be talked about because it's not the fact that, that women should do it the same as a man. I was talking to this one uh, man, and I said, why don't you pick something at the back of the book that you can do? Pick five things that you can do for the rest of your life so that she doesn't have to be the one that tells her him what to do. And uh, he said, so he did. He went to the back of the book, and he says, this one is to make sure the kids brush their teeth. That can't be too hard. And I said, well, then take it off her list. Just take that one off her list. And then he looked at another one. And he said, well, this is waking the kids up in the morning. And, I, and, I, and he says, that couldn't take very long. And I said, then take it off of her list. Because for you, it would be 10 minutes. For her, it's another thing running around her head before she goes to work and has to do all this stuff. And a lot of the, what is happening is 
everybody is so in, it's so ingrained in everybody's psyche that women should do everything on the household front no matter what, even if she's working, even with women, because it's been so embedded for so long that it's hard to change anything. And, and if everybody can get along and everybody can do, do it fine without being angry, I think it's just fine. Mm. But when they get angry, I mean, I am all for not getting a divorce. And whatever it takes to not get a divorce, that's what I'm for. Let me do, let me turn to Gerald Mills. Um, you're, you're, uh, you appear in your wife's books, <laughs> uh, yeah, especially especially. I almost divorced my husband, but I went on strike and, instead. Uh, Sherry's just uh, described, and she went through this. You know, resentment building up, and she's doing everything, and the, you know things get a little little distant. I wonder how roles played into that. You you probably went into marriage with a with a role in your mind. You what you provide, and I'm, I'm not sure what else. Yes, it was. Went to work every day and did my role of bringing home some monies and helped with the uh, tapping the boys on the head and keeping them a little straight. But as time went on, and we're in a small community down here, and it hits the paper quite often, uh, I become a little bit looked upon in the media as some kind of... <laughs> going against mankind, but uh, we hung in there. I hung in there. My kids have grown up to be uh, two very well-mannered gentlemen. They both have very good jobs, educations. Uh, It's working well. It's a whole different world than first took place, and I would have never believed it, but it's... uh, because of the small community in which our family played a, a large role in in the community. Yeah, I think that's a that, that's a key thing. Uh, Gerald just said that it whole new world. I think things are shifting, things are changing. Um, Lurley, what do you what do you think? Well, you know, we're kind of a, a different hybrid. You know, nobody who's met Jonathan would call him anything but an alpha male. He's very once he makes up his mind, his mind is made up. But uh, I feel incredibly lucky. We don't have resentment as far as traditional woman household duties. It is pretty much whoever is most able to complete the task, it's done. When I started working on morning radio, it is no, I work part-time, but because of the hours, I get up at 3.30 in the morning. And so it radically shifted our family's clock. John, there wasn't even a question. He stepped up, gets the kids off to school. Uh, at night, sometimes if I'm I'm extra tired or I have rehearsals, he you know supervises dinner, teeth brushing. I'm actually banned from laundry because I'm mm-hmm. so bad at it. <laughs> and you know, uh, I spent a decade in the mommy blogging world, and the one thing I I kind of resented. I'm I'm in the middle. I don't really like people telling me how I should be. So the feminists would get on me for times uh, if I wasn't working, staying home with the kids. What are you going to do? Other choices I would make, you know, I didn't really appreciate that, nor do I think it fits every woman to say, you must stay home with the kids. You must be a traditionalist. I've worked when I've needed to work or wanted to work. Um, There really was never a question of who was going to be the primary breadwinner. I'm an opera singing, blogging radio host. Okay, Mm -hmm. the chances of me being able to support our family with my natural talents was not high. And Jonathan, you know, is is our primary breadwinner, but he's always been very supportive of me and, and what I want to do. I, I do think personally men um, 
have been kind of undervalued the last few decades. And so it's been gratifying to see more men stepping up um, and creating more of a partnership. I don't necessarily think it needs to be this side of the coin or that side of the coin. What I'm kind of seeing as a trend is is kind of good. It's more whoever is most able to in that moment to perform this task will, which is kind of how I think parenthood, marriage should go in general, just humankind. So that's my my two cents. Yeah. Well, well good. Uh, Jonathan, I wonder, uh, let me just uh, preface your remark, and I know you have uh, a lot of things to say on this. Always. Yeah. <laughs> on any topic. Uh, again, any you know, topic. he's very opinionated. <laughs> that's right. I wonder if you went through the same confusion that that I've gone through, um, just seeing how things are changing and wondering, and I guess I'll frame it this way, wondering what women want me to do, you know, because that's how it's framed, right? You, men's roles, you want to please women, you want to you want to do a good job as a man, but uh, but it's shifting. Yeah. So, I mean, that's I'm trying to think back on my own personal history. We've been married 16 years now. You know, what was it like back when, as I'm trying to form that you know what should my role be and yeah i remember there there was some confusion i you know that tends to not be my personality i'm not necessarily looking for other people to affirm what i should be doing i'm i'm more of the oh i'm gonna do it and then maybe afterwards i'll look and see if that was the right choice that's which has been a problem (laughs) that can cause a problem (laughs) you know i'm working on that um but you know through that experience i and i think the key is is as i'm talking to people who are maybe having struggles with this what we're looking at is, well, what's the ideal for men to do? What's the ideal for women to do? Very few of us are in an ideal situation. There's always something that, you know, maybe your skill set as a man is just not particularly marketable. That's not your strength. And hopefully your wife, you know, has that particular gift um, to be able to create the combination. And that's the key is the partnership. It's no longer what's mine and what's hers. It's we have this list of things that needs to be done from earning money to taking care of kids. And this is I want to preface that this is primarily once there's kids involved. I think that completely changes the dynamic. And in my opinion, that's sort of the whole reason why we get married is, is that next step of having the family versus just the dynamic of the two people. So once you've got kids, especially all of this list of things has to be done and you're going to find out what roles in your marriage work. And trying to conform to a societal expectation one way or the other, I think, is destructive in and of itself. Now, it's good that we have examples. It's good that we have people out there who are trying to help people to to you know emphasize traditional roles because there are there are generalities. I mean, men and women are not the same. Let's let's you know, it's OK that we're not the same and that there's roles that generally men are bad, better at or roles that generally women are better at. But to feel that you can't, that if you don't conform to those stereotypical generalities, that there's something wrong with you or something wrong with your spouse is the difficulty. So you're going to find the dynamic within your own marriage and your own relationships to say, this is how we split things up and we're okay with it because we approach it as a partnership rather than a, this is mine and this is yours. And I'm going to resent you if you don't fulfill that role. Um, and you know, we've, we've been through that. Um, yes, she's banned from laundry. She's, but just cause she's really bad at it. it. It's true. And that's a, that's a, that's a, a dynamic within our relationship that we developed to make it work. Uh, and so advice wise, anybody out there has the questions. That's the first thing is, is abandon mine and, and hers 
and go with ours mm. and work that out amongst yourselves. We're going to go around our panel again uh, before we take another break. Um, I just want to reset the scene. We're talking about men's and women's roles and how that's changing. What's been your experience? We'd love to hear from you. And uh, have you clarified some things? Have you been confused? Maybe I'm the only one who, who grew up that way. But uh, um, <laughs> And uh, have, you, have you found what works in, in your relationship or as you're seeking a relationship? Love to hear from a younger person who's, who's maybe uh, seeking a relationship. Uh, the number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can join us on Twitter at Utah Public Radio on our uh, Facebook page. And our email is upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. We have with us on the line from Helper Sherry Mills, whose books include I Almost Divorced My Husband, But I Went on Strike Instead, and Marriage 101 for Men, Why Taking Out the Trash is a Turn-On. Very interesting books based on her experiences talking with her clients uh, as, as a hairdresser. So she's, she sees many people come through, and, and she's uh, seen what works and what doesn't work, gives advice to people. Uh, we're talking with Julie Newfer as well. Helen Andelin and the Fascinating Womanhood Movement is, is her book out from University of uh, Utah uh, Press. So we'd love to, to hear from you as well. So back to Julie Newfer. I know we talked previously on, in December uh, about how women responded to when you give talks, respond to your book. I wonder what, what men's reactions, or do you get men's reactions to, to when you give presentations? Well, I, I haven't gotten too many men's reactions because um, it's mostly women that want to hear what Helen Andelin had to say. They want to hear about this historical event, which was the other women's movement, which is what I call it, um, the women that uh, were part of this backlash against feminism. And But one thing occurred to me after listening to your other guest is that um, as somebody, as a historian, somebody who watches popular culture, I think it must be very confusing for men, because if you just look at the TV shows that we watch and the um, advertisements on TV, men are really portrayed as being um, inept and uh, kind of stupid and uh, (laughs) ignorant. I I really, it's kind of something that I've been noticing that some of the women I talk to have noticed. If you look at, say, insurance commercials, you know, they're always crashing into a tree or, you know, misusing the lawnmower as it runs up on somebody's flower beds or something. And I I w- just wonder why that is. I think it's just uh, even more confusing to men who are thinking, well, should I live out the traditional role and be the, you know, the protector and the breadwinner, or should I change traditional roles so that I can get along better in my family? So um, that's just something that that I've observed, and I talk with my with my students about, and they're very interested in how this idea of the men's man's role has changed, and also the depiction of men in our popular culture. Interesting. I know Jonathan has a comment on this. Let me preface again. I'm always prefacing my questions to you, Jonathan. Um, <laughs> you got to you got to yeah, narrow me down, or I'll just talk for the whole hour. That's right. Um, uh, in response to what Julie just said. 
Um, one of my producers, uh, Andrew, found a website that was very interesting to me. It's a website on lumber sexuals, as they're called. Young men. <laughs> you're referencing <laughs> my beard. Yeah, no, well, no. I, I think you're not in the demographic. Uh, you, I've referenced it with him before. <laughs> your beard came well before this. But this is young men who are you know, wearing the beard, and I think the, the beard is a fad. I've, I'm seeing young men with, with, with magnificent beards, better than I could ever grow. Uh, but with the plaid shirt and with the, you know, sort of, sort of the lumberjack kind of a thing. And I wonder, I mean, it's style, it's fashion, but I wonder if that's kind of compensating for, I, I think for how it, young men are, are viewed. Actually, I think it is. I mean, there's there's two points. One is you were making that comment about media portrayal. I actually had this discussion several times recently, uh, which is why, you know, stuck my finger in the air. You can't see it because this is radio. But um, I that's really the last stereotype that's okay to make fun of. Uh, you you know everything else has become well we can't do that because you know there's there's a demographic that will get mad this is the one that it's okay to still portray you know to put men in that role and and that's okay I mean really I think it it is since it's the last one there it's we see it too much you know but there are times men are bumbling but that's obviously not the only thing you to make fun of it's just that's all that's left in the the lexicon of well we need something funny who can be the fall guy. Well, it can't be this. It can't be that. It can't be this. Who's left that we can make fun of? Well, it's the men. We can do that. Mm. And that. And again, I don't have a big problem with that, but I think it's introspective to see where we are on that. But secondarily on that, and I was just talking to my mother about this recently, um, I think that the whole issue of lumbersexual and the is a push back from the previous metrosexuals and the androgyny is is reinforcing the. Uh, you know, it, it's not we're the same, but now reinforcing that differences are okay. You're in a lumberjack fact, and you're okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We, we should cue up the song there from Monty Python. And, and that's, that's sort of the point. I think it actually is not necessarily consciously, but a I, I was looking, uh, you know, was it a, a event with my kindergartner where it was the dads and all the kindergartners at the, and looking around. Probably 70% of the dads there had facial hair of some sort. Mm-hmm. And I know if you look 20 years ago, that was not the case. And, and I think we have this sort of subconscious, fashionable thing that says, no, we're going to reinforce the, the manly aspect of our appearance and who we are um, as a pushback to this societal um, d- depiction. Mm. Let me turn to uh, Sherry Mills before we take a break. Um, you... Uh you get perspective from men as well, right? You have men come through the salon. Oh, yes, I do. And I, I truly believe what he said, and I believe what she said, too, because I think the women's movement has made it so the men step back and they have no idea what to do. And, and both of my books, like the women's book, tell women what to do and, not, and to quit blaming their husbands. And the men's book very gently takes him step by step every single thing to do if he wants to make his wife happy. And... Um, and there is no man bashing in this book because that's the thing that has been going on way, 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 way too long. And I have the utmost respect for my husband. I mean, he is my man, and he is, a, he is just wonderful. And, and I think a lot of where I came, come from is that I see so many people right before they get divorced or right before they get divorced before they get out of my chair because I won't let them get out of my chair if they're getting a divorce <laughs> until I talk them out of it. But um, I just... I really do believe that we need to have all the respect for men. We need to put them back into the 
the role where they are manly. And, and that's one of the reasons why I said help isn't helpful, because you don't help a woman with her job. You have a specific job of your own. It doesn't have to be uh, washing the dishes or scrubbing the floor or anything like that. He can pick it. He can pick whatever is his responsibility so he can take it off her list. Because I want to make sure that he stays in that manly role. And that, that keeps him in the manly role, you know, by doing that. So it sounds everybody like, I've talked to said that their life is easier. Their marriage and their life is easier since they did all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you're, you're, you're uh, advocating, a, advocating sort of kind of the traditional thing, but sharing. Yes. Exactly. So, Gerald, again, before we take a break, uh, I wonder, we, we talked about men's portrayal in the media. Uh, you've talked about uh, the fact that you're in a small town and, uh, and you know, if your name gets in the media, it's all, it's all over and everybody knows who you are. Of course, everybody knows who you are anyway, right? Everybody knows everybody. Right. Uh, so I wonder if, if you talk just a little bit about the pressures. Do you, do you, do you feel any pressure uh, on changing uh, men's roles with regard to just the, the, the other men in the community or the media or, or well, other that's pressures? That's very interesting. It is a small community, and we're close. And closeness can sometimes cause partners. And, but with your groups and the, you're playing sports or you're playing whatever, you're getting together on a Friday night playing some cards, and the women are watching and so forth. Uh, it's interesting to find the leniency that the other, and I think they're your friends, but there's people there that aren't your friends, per se, but they don't take the, the opportunity to try to pick a, a non C that is going to cause a problem that isn't there that they think is there. Mm-hmm. And it works out well in our little area. It has for years. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, I know uh, Julian Niffer has to go here in the next couple of minutes, so let me uh, run this email that we've got uh, past you, Julie. Uh, this is Dave and Logan. Uh, he says, in today's world, a ringing endorsement from someone like Louis Farrakhan and Islamic leaders in general is not normally thought of as a positive thing, in my opinion, he says. I believe this would be based on the perception by the Western world that Islam has not treated women well historically, even to the present day in many Islamic countries. Uh, so he's responding to the, the fact that, uh, and of course, we weren't giving an endorsement. We were just mentioning the fact that uh, that you dug up, Julie, that uh, the... Uh, Aubrey Andalin's book and Helen Andalin's book uh, are used in uh, Nation of Islam mosques. Very traditional view. And so, yeah, that does get us to uh, the view of Islam as I I think the stereotype, at least, is it doesn't treat women as well as we would like in the West. Well, I think there's a a viewpoint of Westerners looking at Islam and the way women are treated in Islam and what it would be like if we had to cover our bodies and live very traditional roles. That would be an outsider's view. And then there's the insider view from Islamic women. And I've done quite a bit of work with Islamic women and talked with them. And um, many of them feel very comfortable in traditional roles. Many of them feel very comfortable and um, want to cover their bodies. And, and there are a lot of many religions who wear distinctive clothing to 
um, set themselves apart or to um, emphasize their modesty or whatever. But Louis Farrakhan um, definitely is uh, to the extreme and has been accused of being uh, a racist. And the reason I put that in my book is because I think it's interesting, not as an endorsement of Andalin, but as a historian, I think it's important to see what all kinds of people are attracted to this message. So someone like the Nation of Islam that you would never even think would be attracted to this message of traditional male and female roles. And it's very interesting because a lot of us in the West don't know anything about Islam. And and the Nation of Islam, at least the minister that I spoke to, they are very... Um, committed to lifelong marriage and to uh, strong families. So they feel like a lot of people felt back in, you know, a lot of people still feel, is that if you live these traditional roles, then your family structure is going to be stronger because everybody knows what to do, and many people believe these were God-given roles. And so it's very, it's kind of all laid out. There's no question of who should do what and this is very appealing to people when there's uh, questions of when there's uncertainty in in our society or in other people's societies. So that's that would be my comment on that. I don't I don't think that um, if you say that Islam is giving a ringing endorsement to Andalin, um, I wouldn't say the individual that I talked to was from the Nation of Islam, which is different, uh, a kind of a different branch of Islam. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Well, I know you have to get going. I think you have to go teach a class. Uh, so we do have to teach we, a class, but thank <laughs> you so much for having me. We, we really appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, the, the book is fascinating, Helen Andalin and the Fascinating Womanhood Movement. Uh, Julie Newfer uh, teaches at American History at Eastern Washington University in, in Cheney. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. We're going to take another brief break. When we come back, we'll uh, wrap things up here on our discussion of men's and women's roles. Uh, interesting discussion. And uh, we'll be back with uh, Jonathan and Laura Lee Choate and uh, Sharon Gerald Mills following this brief break. Leif Ove Anzenes has made a name for himself by mixing crystal clean technique with raw power at the piano. On the way, we'll hear the Norwegian pianist in concert at Carnegie Hall in New York City. Leif Ove Anzenes plays Four Waltzes by Frederick Chopin. On the next performance today from APM. Tuesday morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread in Logan. Open for breakfast Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. and Saturdays at 8 a.m. Offering a selection of French pastries and a variety of sweet and savory menu items. Details at crumbbrothers.com. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We've reached our last segment. Another 10 minutes left in the program. We'd love to hear what you think. Uh, are, uh, how are men's and women's roles changing? What about cultural differences? Have you experienced a different culture? Are you from a different culture? Maybe you could uh, comment on that. Uh, how are and should men and women navigating today's shifting environment? What pressures and influences are men and women responding to? We've talked about media 
portrayals of men, which, uh, as uh, Laura Lee pointed out, have, have deteriorated over time. Um, and Julie uh, pointed this out as well. Uh, we got into the topic of religion as well. I want to follow up on that. And maybe we'll let's start with that with uh, Sherry Mills. Uh, so the the women and the men that you you see and you see generations right of of families come through your yeah. your salon there. Um, I wonder about religion. This would be predominantly LDS community, I imagine. Uh, but but any any traditional religion I think sets up an ideal, which as you 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 talked about this woman who was very disillusioned. Who she didn't get the ideal when she when she got married. Um, so I wonder if that sets up extra pressures. Well, and it's not, I don't think it necessarily sets up extra pre- pressures. I think that they have expectations that are, better, that are bigger. Uh, by the way, your, your guests are very, very, I'm, I'm just so proud of them because I think that they are uh, not the norm <laughs> from what I've heard. And I think that that's wonderful how, how they're doing their marriage and everything. But I have a lot of uh, LDS people who talk to me they would never, ever say it out loud, and I will never, ever say it to anybody, because they, and they know I won't. But they're very, very depressed over the whole situation. They don't dare say anything, but they, they uh, are just worn out. They just don't think that that's all that there is to life, and they, and they just don't know what to do. And I try to just point little things out to do, because I said, you know, they're not jerks. They're not be, trying to be mean to you. They just have no idea what to do. They don't know... Does help mean uh, follow you around and help you with everything? Does it help mean help you with the dishes? They they don't want to be mean to you, but they need to know what the situation is and what you expect of them or what, what is expected of them. And, and I always say that help is a four-letter word because of the fact of that, because I think that they do need to be respected as in uh, religious situations. I had a, a cousin who is very, very LDS, and... and um, he said, you know, I appreciate everything my wife does. They have eight kids. And I says, and he's, I says, how do you, how do you tell her? And he's, I always tell her I really appreciate her. And I says, is there anything you could do to make her know that you appreciate her? And I pointed out a few things that he could do, and they're not very big things, just enough to know that you don't have to do this anymore. I'll be doing this one from now on, you know. And it just makes the biggest difference in the world. Hmm. Uh, Jonathan, I know you had a... Yeah, I and I I think Sherry and I may be addressing this from different points of view. You know, I, I as I understand, Sherry, you're looking at this from the perspective of trying to help people who are kind of already set in their ways. They've already developed these problems, and you're trying to show them little tools in how to f- to fix some of the the rut that they're in, if you will, in their marriage. Exactly. Uh, That's exactly what it is. And so I look at this from a, a little bit of a different perspective in, in the more of the 50,000-foot view of how we ought to be emphasizing things before the situation occurs. And as you were talking about the, the pressures in you know, traditional roles, uh, you know, particularly LDS or uh, you know, other uh, communities, whether it's Nation of Islam, etc., I, I think one of the problems that we've had culturally as I'm examining this in my own mind is again, it has been talking about men, this is your role to do, and women, this is your role to do, but we, the first hasn't been emphasizing the why that role is. You know, we say, okay, it's God-given, well, that's great, but why do we have different roles? And the primary thing is we have these roles in order to help each other. 
um, you know, we have traditional strengths and weaknesses, but the goal is to strengthen. The goal is, you know, and we often talk about this, and I think it's often abused, the issue of obey. Okay, you know, eventually there's going to come a head in a situation where you're going to have contradictory opinions and you're going to have to go one way or the other. That's going to happen. But the goal isn't to lord over. The goal is to, you know, you know, as as a, you know, the husband and the one who's supposedly being obeyed, the abuse of that is far more is far worse because of that particular role. If you are, okay, it says you're going to obey me, so you're going to obey my whim. That's absurd. And I think what we often miss in the in the defining of those traditional roles is why there's an issue of, you know, why those things are defined out that way. And primarily is the partnership and the love and cherish and support aspect. We miss that as the primary emphasis. And these are secondary things. The roles are just there to sort of help us figure out which things to do but we're ignoring the primary reason why we're together in the first place. If we don't respect and love, why are we together? Why did we get married in the first place? Don't, you know, don't go into there. We, we've created marriage as this adult-centric thing these days rather than the children, family-centric. We're going into it to create the next generation, to, to create this thing societally Rather than, well, I'm me and she's her, and we're just going to come together because it makes sense on our tax taxes. We are now running out of time, so um, uh, let's uh, go around to the, get some last words from our panel, starting with the Laura Leeds about well, a minute. Well, probably listening to all of this, my best advice, one reason I went back to work, one, I wanted to, but the other reason is I realize my limitations, what my talents are, what my, my previous upbringing has been, and, and I have some severe deficiencies, so... I was offered a job. I knew I'd be good at it. I'm, it's fun. I can still be there for my kids. And it gives me enough money to hire a housekeeper. <laughs> there you go. All right. There, there, there you go. Uh, let, me, let me go to, to Gerald uh, next, and we'll give Sherry the last word, just about a minute each. We're, we're running down on time. But what, what, what would your last piece of advice, uh, Gerald? Well, I'm kind of fortunate. Born and raised in this same area all my life, and everybody's pretty much call a card with what's going to happen in any kind of situation. Obviously, there's the the obvious that things don't go right. but And that makes it easy when you come together as a city, as a group, as a get-together. And the old cliche that there's four heads are better than one. And I'm proud of where I live. I'm proud of the people in America. I'm proud of what's going on right now, even though we are having problems. But we tend to work it out. Somebody started something good. And uh, Sherry Mills, we'll give you the last word, just about a minute. Okay. I, I actually think that um, that we do need to come at, at it from the beginning, because I've actually had a psychologist that tell me that they need to have my books in the college in the colleges, and and I need to speak to the people before they get married, you know, in the in the high schools, because that's what they need is they need to have a class before they get married to see what is what is in a marriage, you know, everything that's in a marriage, so they they will know when going in what everything is is expected of them. Well, uh, a lot of good advice in your books. I almost divorced my husband, but I went on strike instead. And marriage one hundred and one for men. Sherry Mills, uh, the author, and she has joined us. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, Gerald Mills has joined us as well. Thanks. 
for having me. And uh, we have in studio uh, Lurley Choate, who you can catch in the mornings on Q92. Yep. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Jonathan is at SD7 Technologies and over on For the People as well. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having us. And uh, check out the book, very interesting book, Helen Andelin, The Fascinating Womanhood Movement. Julie Newfer is the author. This uh, conversation can continue. We could have gone another hour on, on this subject. We're out of time. Uh, so do uh, continue the conversation if you would like on our website, upr.org, and uh, by, by email to upraxis at gmail.com. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening. Gas prices across the nation are the lowest they've been in years, and consumers seem to be pretty happy about the savings. But with these low prices come some hidden costs. In the month of December, oil prices have decreased between 35 to 40 percent. We're kind of in uncharted territory. In UPR's new series, The Costs of Oil, will bring you stories from places like eastern Utah, where the local economy depends on drilling. We'll look into what low prices at the pump are doing to Utah's already notorious air quality, the state budget, and the push to develop green energy. Tune in February 9th through the 20th for The Costs of Oil, a UPR news series. Hey, did you hear Car Talk last week? And he's talking about what an adventure it is. It was. And I hear his wife <laughs> in the background <laughs> screaming something, and I can't really... Hey, you're an idiot! <laughs> <laughs> Can I hear that again? Ray, you are an idiot! <laughs> Don't miss the fun this week. Join us for the best of Car Talk. Saturday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan. And thank you for listening to Access Utah Today on Utah Public Radio, a service of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University. Stay tuned for The Splendid Table coming up next. Time now is 10 o'clock.